In this episode of Josh Reed's Other People's Published Poetry, I'm going to read The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot from the complete poems and plays of T.S. Eliot. A quick note, there are at least two or three languages that aren't English in this poem, so I semi-apologize in advance for my horrendous pronunciation of foreign languages. The Wasteland 1. The Burial of the Dead April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Winter kept us warm, covering earth in forgetful snow, feeding a little life with dried tubers. Summer surprised us, coming over the Starburg and Eves with a shower of rain. We stopped in the colonnade and went on in sunlight, into the Hofgarten, and drank coffee and talked for an hour. Binga kein Russen Staminos Luten Ich And when we were children, staying at the Archdukes, my cousin, he took me out on a sled, and I was frightened. He said, Marie, Marie, hold on tight. And down we went. In the mountains, they feel free. I read much of the night and go south in the winter. What are the roots that clutch? What branches grow out of this stony rubbish? Son of man, you cannot say, or guess, for you know only a heap of broken images, where the sun beats and the dead trees give no shelter, the cricket no relief, and the dry stone no sound of water. Only there is shadow under this red rock. Come in under the shadow of this red rock, and I will show you something different from either your shadow at morning striding behind you, or your shadow at evening rising to meet you. I will show you fear in a handful of dust, Frischwit der Wind, the Himitsu, my Irish kind, where Willis do. You gave me hyacinths first a year ago. They called me the hyacinth girl. Yet when we came back, late, from the hyacinth garden, your arms full and your hair wet, I could not speak and my eyes failed. I was neither living nor dead. I knew nothing. Looking into the heart of light, the silence, Urundlir das Meer. Madame Sostris, famous clairvoyant, had a bad cold. Nevertheless, is known to be the wisest woman in Europe with a wicked pack of cards. Here, said she, is your card, the drowned Phoenician sailor. Those are pearls that were his eyes. Look, here is Belladonna, the lady of the rocks, the lady of situations. Here is the man with three staves, and here the wheel, and here is the one-eyed merchant, and this card which is blank, is something he carries on his back, which I am forbidden to see. Do not find the hanged man. Fear death by water. I see crowds of people walking round in a ring. Thank you. If you see dear Mrs. Equitone, tell her I bring the horoscope myself. One must be so careful these days. Unreal city, under the brown fog of a winter dawn, a crowd float over London Bridge, so many. I had not thought death had undone so many. Sighs, short and infrequent, were exhaled, and each man fixed his eyes before his feet. Float up the hill and down King William Street, to where St. Mary Woolnoth kept the hours with a dead sound on the final stroke of nine. There I saw one I knew, and stopped him, crying, Stetson, you were with me in the ships at Mylay. That corpse you planted last year in your garden has begun to sprout. Will it bloom this year? Or has a sudden frost disturbed its bed? We keep the dog far hence. That's friend to men, or with his nails he'll dig it up again. 
You, hypocrite lecturer, mon sembler, mon frère. 2. A Game of Chess The chair she sat in, like a burnished throne, glowed on the marble, where the glass held up by standards wrought with fruited vines from which a golden cupidon peeped out. Another hid his eyes behind his wing. Doubled the flames of seven-branched candelabra reflecting light upon the table as the glitter of her jewels rose to meet it, from satin cases poured in rich profusion. In vials of ivory and coloured glass, unstoppered, lurked her strange synthetic perfumes, unguent, powdered, or liquid, troubled, confused, and drowned in the scents and odours, stirred by the air that freshened from the window. These ascended in fattening the prolonged candle flames, flung their smoke into the lacqueria. Stirring the pattern on the coffered ceiling, huge seawood fed with copper burned green and orange, framed by the coloured stone in which sad light a carved dolphin swam. Above the antique mantel was displayed, as though a window gave upon the sylvan scene the change of Philomel, by the barbarous king so rudely forced. Yet there the nightingale filled all the desert with the voluble voice, and still she cried, and still the word pursues, jug jug to dirty ears, and other withered stumps of time were told upon the walls, staring forms leaned out, leaning, hushing the room enclosed. Footsteps shuffled on the stair. Under the firelight, under the brush, her hair spread out on fiery points glowed into words. Then would be savagely still. My nerves are bad tonight. Yes, bad. Stay with me. Speak to me. Why do you never speak? Speak. What are you thinking of? What thinking? What? I never know what you were thinking. Think. I think we're in a rat's alley where the dead men lost their bones. What is that noise? The wind under the door. What is that noise now? What is the wind doing? Nothing. Again, nothing. Do you know nothing? Do you see nothing? Do you remember nothing? I remember those pearls that were his eyes. Are you alive or not? Is there nothing in your head? But oh, 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 that Shakespearean rag. It's so elegant, so intelligent. What shall I do now? What shall I do? I shall rush out as I am and walk the street with my hair down. So, what shall we do tomorrow? What shall we ever do? The hot water at ten. And if it rained, a closed car at four. We shall play a game of chess, pressing lidless eyes and waiting for a knock upon the door. When Mill's husband got demobbed, I said, I didn't miss my words, I said to her myself, Hurry up please, it's time. Now Albert's coming back. Make yourself a bit smart. He'll want to know what you've done with that money he gave you to get yourself some teeth. He did. I was there. You have them all out, Will, and get a nice set. He said, I swear, I can't bear to look at you. And no more can't I, I said. I think of poor Albert. He's been in the army four years. He wants a good time. And if you don't give it him, there's others will, I said. Oh, is there, she said. Something of that, I said. Then I'll know who to thank she said, and gave me a straight look. Hurry up, please, it's time. If you don't like it, you can get on with it, I said. Others can pick and choose if you can't. But if Albert makes off, it won't be for lack of telling. You ought to be ashamed, I said, to look so antique. And her only thirty-one. I can't help it, she said, pulling a long face. It's them pills I took to bring it off, she said. She had five already. Nearly died of young George. The chemist said it would be all right. But I've never been the same. You are a proper fool, I said. 
Well, if Albert won't leave you alone, there it is, I said. What you get married for if you don't want children? Hurry up, please, there's time. Well, that Sunday Albert was home, they had a hot gammon, and they asked me in to dinner to get the beauty of it hot. Hurry up, please, it's time. Hurry up, please, it's time. Good night, Bill. Good night, Lou. Good night, May. Good night. Ta-ta. Good night. Good night. Good night, ladies. Good night, sweet ladies. Good night. Good night. Three. The Fire Sermon. The river's tent is broken. The last fingers of leaf clutch and sink into the wet bank. The wind crosses the brown land unheard. The nymphs are departed. Sweet Thames run softly till I end my song. The river bears no empty bottles, sandwich papers, silk handkerchiefs, cardboard boxes, cigarette ends, or other testimony of summer nights. The nymphs are departed, and their friends, the loitering heirs of city directors, departed, have left no addresses. By the waters of Lehman I sat down and wept. Sweet Thames, run softly till I end my song. Sweet Thames, run softly, for I speak not loud or long. But at my back in a cold blast I hear the rattle of the bones, and chuckles spread from ear to ear. A rat crept softly through the vegetation, dragging its slimy belly on the bank while I was fishing in a dull canal on a winter evening, round behind the gas house, musing upon the king, my brother's wreck, and on the king my father's death before him. White bodies, naked on the low, damp ground, and bones cast in little, low, dry garrets, rattled by the rat's foot only, year to year. But at my back, from time to time, I hear the sound of horns and motors, which shall bring Sweeney to Mrs. Porter in the spring. Oh, the moon shone bright on Mrs. Porter, and on her daughter, they washed their feet in soda water, et au savoir d'enfants, chantant dans les coupeaux. Twit, 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 jug, 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 jug. So rudely forced, Teru. Unreal city, under the brown fog of a winter noon, Mr. Ugendis, the Simran merchant, unshaven, with a pocket full of currants. C.I.F. London, documents at sight. Asked me in demotic French to luncheon at the Cannon Street Hotel, followed by a weekend at the Metropole. At the violet hour, when the eyes and back turn upward from the desk, when the human engine waits like a taxi throbbing, waiting, I, Teresius, though blind, throbbing between two lives, old man with wrinkled female breasts can see at the violet hour the evening hour that strives homeward and brings the sailor home from sea. The typist home at tea time clears her breakfast, lights her stove, and lays out foods in tins. Out of the window apparently spread her drying combinations touched by the sun's last rays. On the divan are piled, at night her bed, stockings, slippers, camisoles, and stays. I, Teresius, old man with wrinkled dugs, perceived the scene and foretold the rest. I, too, awaited the expected guest. He, the young man, carbuncular, arrives a small house agent's clerk, with one bold stare, one of the low on whom assurance sits, as a silk hat on a Bradford millionaire. The time is now proprietous, as he guesses. The meal is ended. She is bored and tired, endeavours to engage her in caresses, which still are unreproved, if undesired. Flushed and decided, he assaults at once, exploring hands encounter no defence. His vanity requires no response, and makes a welcome of indifference. And I, Teresius, 
have forsuffered all and acted on this same divan or bed, I, who have sat by Thebes below the wall and walked among the lowest of the dead, bestows one final patronizing kiss and gropes his way, finding the stairs unlit. She turns and looks a moment in the glass, hardly aware of her departed lover. Her brain allows one half-formed thought to pass. Well, now that's done, and I'm glad it's over. When lovely woman stoops to folly and paces about her room again, alone, she smooths her hair with automatic hand and puts a record on the gramophone. This music crept by me upon the waters and along the strand of Queen Victoria Street. O oh, city, city, I can sometimes hear beside a public bar in Lower Thames Street the pleasant whining of a mandolin and a clatter and a chatter from within where fishermen lounge at noon, where the walls of Magnus Martha hold an inexplicable splendor of Ionian white and gold. The river sweats oil and tar, the barges drift with the turning tide, red sails wide to leeward, swing on the heavy spar. The barges wash drifting logs down Greenwich Reach past the Isle of Dogs. Way la la lay, way la la lay, lay la. Elizabeth and Lester beating oars, the stern was formed a gilded shell red and gold. The brisk swell rippled both shores. Southwest wind carried downstream the peal of bells, white towers. Way la la lay, way la la lay, la la la. Trams and dusty trees, highbury bore me, Richmond and Kew undid me. By Richmond, I raised my knees, serpine on the floor of a narrow canoe. My feet are at Moorgate, and my heart under my feet. After the event, he wept. He promised a new start. I made no comment. What should I resent? On Margaret Sands, I can connect nothing with nothing. The broken fingernails of dirty hands. My people humble people who expect nothing. La, la, to Carthage then I came. Burning, burning, burning. O Lord, thou pluckest me out. O Lord, thou pluckest. Burning. 4. Death by Water Phoebus the Phoenician, a fortnight dead, forgot the cry of gulls and the deep sea swell and the prophet, and loss. A current under sea picked his bones in whispers. As he rose and fell, he passed the stages of his age and youth, entering the whirlpool. Gentile or Jew, or you who turn the wheel and look to windward, consider Phlebas, who was once handsome and tall as you. 5. What the Thunder Said After the torchlight red on sweaty faces, after the frosty silence in the gardens, after the agony in stony places, the shouting and the crying, prison and palace, and reverberations of thunder, of spring over distant mountains, he who is living is now dead. We who, are, who were living are now dying with little patience. Here is no water but only rock, rock and no water, and the sandy road, the road winding above, among the mountains, which are mountains of rock without water. If there were water, we should stop and drink amongst the rock. One cannot stop or think. Sweat is dry and feed her in the sand. If there were only water amongst the rock, dead mountain mouth of carious teeth that cannot spit, here one can neither stand nor lie nor sit. There is not even silence in the mountains, but dry, sterile thunder without rain. 
There is not even solitude in the mountains, but red, sullen faces sneer and snarl from doors of mud-cracked houses. If there were water and no rock, if there were rock and also water, and water, a spring, a pool among the rock, if there were the sound of water only, not the cicada and dry grass singing, but sound of water over a rock, where the hermit thrush sings in the pine trees, drip, drop, drip, drop, 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 drop. But there is no water. Who is the third who walked always beside you? When I count, there are only you and I together, but when I look ahead, up the white road, there is always another one walking beside you, gliding wrapped in a brown mantle, hooded, I do not know whether a man or a woman. But who is that on the other side of you? What is that sound high in the air, murmur of maternal lamentation? Who are those hooded hordes swarming over endless plains, stumbling in cracked earth, ringed by the flat horizon only? What is the city over the mountains, cracks and reforms and bursts in the violet air, falling towers, Jerusalem, Athens, Alexandria, Vienna, London, unreal. A woman drew her long black hair out tight and fiddled whisper music on those strings and bats with baby faces in the violet light whistled and beat their wings and crawled head downward down a blackened wall and upside down in air were towers toiling reminiscent bells that kept the hours and voices singing out of empty cisterns and exhausted wells. In this decayed hole among the mountains, in the faint moonlight, the grass is singing over the tumbled graves. About the chapel, there is the empty chapel, only the wind's home. It has no windows, and the door swings, dry bones can harm no one. Only a cock stood on the roof tree, Coco Rico, Coco Rico, in a flash of lightning, then a damp gust, bringing rain. Ganja was sunken, and the limp leaves waited for rain, while the black clouds gathered far distant over Himavant. The jungle crouched, humped in silence, then spoke the thunder, Da, Data, what have we given? My friend, blood shaking my heart, the awful daring of a moment's surrender, which an age of prudence can never retract. By this, and this only, we have existed, which is not to be found in other obituaries, or in memories, draped by the beneficent spider, or under seals broken by the lean solicitor, in our empty room. Da. Da de balm. I've heard the key turn in the door once, and turn only once. We think of the key... Each in his prison, thinking of the key. Each confirms a prison, only at nightfall. Ethereal rumours revive for a moment of broken Coriolanus. Da. Damiata. The boat responded gaily to the hand expert with sail and oar. The sea was calm. Your heart would have responded gaily, when invited, beating obedient to controlling hands. I sat upon the shore, fishing, with the arid plain behind me. Shall I at least set my land in order? London Bridge is falling down, falling down, falling down. Pasoko nel foco fini, kundo fiam uti shelidon. O swallow, swallow, le prince d'Aquitaine a la tour aboli. These fragments I have shored against my runes. 
Why then it'll fit you? Hiromo's mad again. Data. Dairava. Damiata. Shanti, shanti, shanti. Thank you for listening. And on to the commentary for The Wasteland. I've been umming and ahhing about reading this poem for months, and I actually tried a couple of weeks ago. I recorded, got halfway through, and I couldn't pronounce some of the foreign language things well enough to kind of stumble over them to get to the rest of it. And the other part was, because I'm kind of enjoying the commentary section of this, I'm trying to get better at it and actually say something useful. It's hard to think of something to say about the wasteland that hasn't already been said. Um, and I, I was that was kind of also the other reason I haven't read this yet. And then I realised it doesn't really matter. It's a fun poem to read. I mean, the first time it's a bit daunting because you've no idea what's going on and you've got to be really paying attention um, because the punctuation in this poem changes the voices, obviously, so someone's talking and then someone else is recounting a story, but while it's all happening, someone in the background screaming, um, hurry up, it's time. Um, so while that's going on, you know, there's this conversation happening, but someone's screaming this from out of nowhere. There's a lot of mythology going on in here. References to songs, poems, historical events. And so you can kind of pick this poem apart and you know, unravel it. But what I learned, what I've kind of appreciated after studying English Lit at uni was that sometimes a good piece of writing is just a good piece of writing. And no matter how much you pull it apart and dissect it and analyze it and get to what you believe the meaning of the poem is, if it's still a good poem, you'll reread it and just enjoy it for what's on the page. And with The Wasteland, it is doing so much. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd love to see here and say, this poem is about blur. But I don't know what the poem's about. And I'm quite happy to not even pretend like I know what the poem's about. I just know it's fun to read. There's a story going on. Stuff is happening to lots of different people. Um, you know, it's going to Greek myth. It's going into... Uh, English folk songs. The whole tarot section is kind of interesting. The chess game is, you know, a, a scene possibly from, you know, it's obviously the narrator's life, but it could even be from T.S. Eliot's life, you know. There's just so much going on. It's so much fun that unpacking it is kind of... When I studied this at uni, I was going to take T.S. Eliot's advice because in the back of... When the poem finishes, he um, there's this note section and... The, I think it's an apocryphal story, is that he submitted the poem to the publishers, and the publishers said, look, there's not enough pages here for a book, you need to add some more pages. And so he wrote the notes to The Wasteland. And I'll read the introduction to his notes to kind of add a bit of context. So, notes on The Wasteland. Not only the title, but the plan and a good deal of the incidental symbolism of the poem was suggested by Miss Jessie L. Weston's book on the Grail legend, From Ritual to Romance. Indeed, 
so deeply am I indebted, Miss Weston's book will elucidate the difficulties of the poem much better than my notes can do, and I recommend it, apart from the great interest of the book itself, to any who think much such elucidation of the poem worth the trouble. To another work of anthropology I am indebted in general, one which has influenced our generation profoundly. I mean the Golden Bough. I have used especially two volumes, Adonis, Attis, Osiris. Anyone who is acquainted with these works will immediately recognize in the poem certain references to vegetation ceremonies. I tried to read From Rituals to Romance in, in, in uni, and then decided life was too short. Um, I looked at the unabridged The Golden Bough and decided life was too short. So I tried reading the abridged version. It's very dense, heavy, but fascinating read if you can get through it. But the point is, you can do that. You can read all these other books. You can read all this other secondary source material. And to some extent, it will enrich the reading of The Wasteland. And by enrich, I mean the more references you get, the more sort of substance the poem gets. But you can also read it without any idea about who Phlebas is or who the blind um, prophet not prophet, but the guy can see into the future. That dude. Like, if you don't know that great myth, I think it's from Homer, actually. If you don't know about him, you still kind of get what's going on in the poem. Like, the narrator explains it well enough. Um, that kind of linking between the unreal city, which kind of threads through the poem, as well as the tarot card in the first section that rocks up in the second or third one. People have written books and books, volumes on what the wasteland means and I don't know if I mentioned this, but originally Elliot called the poem he drew the policeman in different voices or something along those lines and he gave the manuscript to his friend Ezra Pound and Pound went to town on it, he, he removed entire sections, he renamed the poem, he um, tinkered with lines and phrasing and one of the poems, the fourth the fourth poem, Death by Water, in the original manuscript it's like two or three pages long and after Pound gets his hands on it, he changes the section name, I'm pretty sure, or tinkers with it and reduces two or three pages of poetry down to ten, twelve lines, ten lines. Um, and when you read sort of what he got rid of, you kind of see what Pound was doing. He was just trying to get to the guts of the poem. But the, the reason I bring this up is when you read in, when you know this, and then you read Eliot's note saying, the title and the plan and a good deal of the incidental symbolism of the poem was suggested by From Ritual to Romance and the Golden Bow. It's kind of like, were they really... Because you didn't come up with the title, you know, Pound's Pound Suggestion. So a bit of the structure was Pound Suggestion. Um, and so, really, the only reason you should really read poetry at all, or the only reason you should be reading, is because you enjoy it. You find something worth reading, whether that's, you know, it doesn't even matter what it is. As long as you enjoy it while you're reading it, and you get something out of it. It doesn't matter if you can't unpack it or unriddle it or, you know, if you find no pleasure in dissecting it to figure out what makes it tick. 
like I think some like the thing about something like the Wastelands is is it's such a good poem that even after you unravel unravel it and unriddle it to see what makes it tick, one, it's very very questionable whether or not you actually ever managed to achieve that, but two, it still is worth reading long after you've you know gone through the notes and dissected it and inspected and defected it detected it and. All those sorts of things. Um, so I hope you enjoyed my reading of The Wasteland. It's a long poem, but it's a fun poem. So I really I thank you very much for listening. I appreciate that you take the time to listen to this podcast. Thank you very much.